good to be together today. My name's Mark. If you're a guest here, one of the pastors, really glad that you're here. I don't know why you're here. I know why I'm here. I need to be here. I'm a Cub fan. <laughs> and it is so hard. It's almost as bad as being a Bear fan. <laughs> Our misery goes way, way back. All my life I've been a Cub fan. 50 years ago, I went to my first Cub game, and they've been breaking my heart ever since. <laughs> so I don't know why you're here, but I need to be here to hear a good word from God. So good to be together. So this will be a funny question for those of you born after uh, 1991. But where were you 25 years ago? What was your life like? What was hard in your life? Did you know Jesus? Were you following him? Were there any things that you were clinging to with all of your hope because things were really hard or hopes were really high? 25 years ago is a long time. Remember where you were, what your life was on about? We're catching up with Abraham and Sarah 25 years since God promised this guy who's described as a guy who wasn't seeking God but was worshiping idols. A guy from the city called Ur, modern day Iraq. God called him into a relationship and said, Abraham, I want to bless you. I want to make you your name great. I want to make you into a great nation. The problem was Abraham and Sarah didn't have any kids. He says, not only that, I want to, I want to give you some land. It's going to be great land. And I'm going to bless everyone who blesses you. I'm going to curse everyone who curses you. And I'm going to bless all the families of the world through you. It's been 25 years since Abraham left Haran and moved down to Canaan to Shechem in the promised land. 25 years he's been waiting for this promised son who was to come and to make his name great and make him into a great nation. Our series titled Unexpected, right? The Journey of Faith reminds us that God's promises are not always immediately received, right? It's been 25 years. God continues to reaffirm the promise. In chapter 12, it starts in chapter 15. Again, in chapter 17, when he changes his name from Abram, exalted father, to Abraham, father of the multitudes. And he tells him at the age of 99 that, that next year, your wife, Sarai, now Sarah, is going to bring a baby boy, you're to name Isaac, into this world. And in the journey of life, when things are hard, when things are going slower than expected, it's easy for the questions to rise. Because there's tension in this life of faith, walking with God. And when the tension comes, the questions come. And that's where some of us are right now. God, where are you? Do you know who I am? Do you know where I am? Do you know what you're doing? How in the world could this work out for good? Do you care? Do you love me? Are you going to be true to your promise to me, to bless me, to care for me, to protect me, to cause me to flourish in this day? It's easy for the questions to well up. And we're going to see the questions rising up in Sarah and Abraham today. And here's what's unexpected. When we're wrestling 
in those hard places, when we're asking God some hard questions, it's good to know that he responds with grace. So expect grace, even as we would expect tension and questions. Expect grace from God, not God turning away, not God saying, what do you, who do you think you are asking me questions? I'm God. Expect grace. And if we are people who've experienced grace, this chapter, chapter 18, tells us to extend grace, meaning extend compassion, God's mercy. So grab your Bible. We're in Genesis chapter 18. And as you turn to Genesis chapter 18, first book of the Bible, if you're new to the Bible, chapter 18, as we turn there, chapter 17 was God reaffirming his covenant, this promised relationship where he says, Abram, I want to be your God and I want you and your people to be my people. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk in my ways and I want, to, want you to teach your family and all the descendants after you to do the same thing to keep my commands, to walk in my ways, to trust me, to walk in faith. And we know that's what Abraham is doing, even though he laughs when God says, this time next year, your wife, I know she's 89, but she's going to be the mother of a baby boy named Isaac. But even though he laughed, he walked in faith. And we know that because the sign of the covenant, that they were marked off by God's people, were that all the boys, all the men from eight days old on up would be circumcised. And that's how chapter 17 ends. See that verse 27? And every male in Abram's household, including those born in his household or brought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. So here's how the chapter, verse, uh, chapter 18 breaks out. You've got verses 1 through 15. We could call this question 1 or the birth announcement. All right, God's going to visit Abraham with these two men who are actually angels, angels disguised as men. And the announcement will be that God's going to come back real soon and there's going to be a baby. Isaac's going to be born. But the question that is raised here is the question, is anything too hard for God? It's actually God's reframing of Sarah's question. How can a woman 89 years old possibly give birth to a son that's the first section then the second section is not a birth announcement but actually it's an announcement how God is going to exercise his justice while at the same time extend his mercy over the people of Sodom and Gomorrah including Lot, his nephew, Abraham's nephew. And the question there is, will the judge of the earth do what is right? Is God fair? All right, so let's get into the first one, verses 1 through 15. So the setting is, in verses 1 through 8, God shows up, verse 1, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre. That's in Hebron, where he has been living for a while now. And he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Verse 2, and he looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. We find out that one of them is the Lord. Most scholars believe this is an appearance of Christ before he comes as a baby and as a man, as the God-man to this earth. It's the Lord, it's Christ that shows up with these two men who are actually angels. We'll run to them a little later on in the text. And so 
Abraham is just extending gracious Middle Eastern hospitality. He says, hey guys, don't pass through. Stay. Let me take care of you. And he gives him water. And he gives him shelter in the shade. And he gives him food and provision. And he has this big banquet set up. He says, Sarah, go get some flour. Make some bread. He gets the servant. Go get that young that young calf and prepare it for barbecue today because we got, we got friends coming in. We got to take care of them. So he extends this warm, gracious hospitality. And then as they're eating and Abraham is just standing by their side, verse 9, one of the visitors, likely the Lord, says, where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. Well, they're in the tent, he said, Abraham said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abram and Sarah were already very old. And Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Speaking of sexual intimacy and also The fruit of sexual intimacy, holding her own flesh and blood. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Let me just just stop there. Is, Is that a question that we might be wrestling with in a situation, in a relationship, in a health situation, in in that child that you have been praying for, in that brother or sister that you've been praying for and and praying that they'd come to Jesus? Is there anything in your life where you're starting to go, maybe this is just too hard? Maybe it's too hard for the Lord. Here's how God responds. I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I didn't laugh. I love this. But he, the Lord, said, yes, you did laugh. So there's a second birth announcement. There was the one in chapter 17, and it goes on here again in 18. God visits Abraham and Sarah to tell them, at the appointed time, it's coming, it's coming. Birth announcements are really amazing. In fact, we had a recent birth announcement in our family, our oldest daughter, Laura and John, uh, let us know a couple months ago that they were expecting. Wow, is that exciting? Our first, our first grandchild. So on Friday, they, they had that um, 16-week checkup, right, where you get to find out if it's a boy or a girl. So it's a boy. It's a boy. So it's really easy to get excited about things that we see happening. Like Laura's been really sick. And she's gone to the doctor, and there's been ultrasounds, right? And we've seen the baby, and they've seen the baby. And Laura will tell you, that little guy's going to be a soccer player. (laughs) She feels the baby. Now, but just think about this. So here's a birth announcement. It's been 25 years. If I got my math right, that's 300 months. There's never been a month where there ever was an indication that something's changed. And even on this day, nothing's different. Actually, it's just a little harder because there's a 13-year-old kid named Ishmael. Remember Ishmael? 
the product of Sarah's servant, Hagar, who she gave over to her son. Because maybe, maybe what God meant was it's going to be not through Sarah, but through somebody else. So it wasn't that uncommon in the day. She gives Abraham her servant and 13-year-old Ishmael's been running around to remind her that the problem is not Abraham's, right? It's hard. Her response is laughter. It's not the first time somebody laughs. Go back to chapter 17. Verse 15, God said to Abram, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai, her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down and he worshiped God. That's not what it says. (laughs) And he laughed. He laughed. And said, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? How can this be? This is impossible. He laughed. She laughed. And then it's interesting. The text says, after Sarah laughed, verse 13 of chapter 18, that the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah, why didn't like the Lord just say, Sarah, come over here, I want to talk to you. Why did you laugh? Why, why does he talk to Abraham? Why, why does God go looking for Adam in the garden, chapter 3, when Eve was the one who was snookered by the enemy, the devil himself, and took the fruit and ate it and gave some to her husband who was standing next to her? Why did he say, Adam, where are you? Because, men, we have a responsibility as spiritual leaders in our home, not because we're better. It's just how God has ordered it. He goes to Abraham reminding him, he says, why, why did Sarah laugh? And then he helps us understand what was at stake. Their eyes were on their bodies. Romans 4.19 describes their bodies as good as dead, like What in the world could you expect? Fruit coming from this couple who's 90 and 100? Their eyes were all, this is impossible because look how old we are. And and God reframes the question to say, actually, it's about me, isn't it? It's about my word of promise. You're wondering if it can happen. Maybe you're thinking that this is too hard for God. And so God says, is that the question? Is this too hard for me? Is anything too hard for me? That's the rhetorical question. And the answer in the text and in the storyline of the Bible is no. Nothing is too hard. Nothing is impossible. But just because it is impossible doesn't mean it's going to happen either. Just because he promised, as we've been learning, doesn't mean it's going to happen today. It's been 25 years. And let's not miss the beauty of God's response. So he says to Abraham, he doesn't, let's say what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, why do you guys keep laughing? He just goes back to Abraham and says, look, it's going to happen. Next year, Sarah's going to give birth to a baby boy. 
And then he says to Sarah, who's, you know, she's fragile in her faith. We totally get it, don't we? I hope we do. 25 years? We've probably been saying, we just must have heard it wrong. Because certainly it wouldn't take this long for God to come true on his word. We get that Sarah's fragile in her faith, wrestling, as her husband has been. And I love how he just wraps grace around the truth. When, when she runs, it's just like they're not exactly in the same area, right? Where's Sarah? Well, she's at her tent, which was behind him. So I, we don't know where it is, but they're, they're not proximate. But we get, the te- we get from the text is when, when, when he asked Abraham, it says that she was afraid and came running to the Lord and said, I didn't say that. I didn't laugh. And, and I, I love it. He says, yes, you did. Yeah, you did. And, and that was it. Yeah, you did. He didn't pretend like it didn't happen. He didn't chide her. He didn't change the rules, so to speak, and say, hey, the deal's off. If you guys can't muster up the faith that my promise is off. No, God's promise to save humanity, because that's what the promise is here. Let's not lose our way. This is God's plan to bring back a fractured humanity to a holy God through Abraham and his seed, ultimately Christ. He doesn't change the rules because it's always been by grace. And he extends grace as he speaks the truth in love and wraps the truth in grace. So I'm wondering what it is that may have you wonder, is God going to keep his word? The word in context here is the word of blessing, that through Abraham's family, this is how we intersect with the story, all the families, you and me, our families, the ones we come from, if we're parents, the ones that we have, would be blessed, cared for, protected, so we flourish with God. What is there in your life right now where you go, man, I don't know. Sure doesn't feel like flourishing. Doesn't feel like God's care. Doesn't feel like his protection. Anybody wondering? Is this too hard for God? So there's the birth announcement with that question. Now we come to the second announcement, verse 16. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abram what I'm about to do? Verse 18, Abram will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I've chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. So God's gonna show him what he's gonna do. And it has everything to do with what follows, which is all about the outcry of injustice that is coming from the oppressed from the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's going to bring judgment. But before he brings judgment, he reaffirms the covenant promises to Abraham. And his desire for them, having been chosen, to do what is just and do what is right. Abraham, you're to do that and your family and all those who follow in faith are to be like 
that. That's what I chose you for. That's how the blessing moves from your family as you walk with me and live like me, doing what is right and just in this world. The commentator Bruce Walkie, in his commentary, wrote this, a righteous person rightly orders community. Righteousness is always preserving community so that those in the community flourish. He says, a just person restores broken community, addresses the things that are keeping people from flourishing in all the aspects of that, who we are as social, spiritual, intellectual. Economics are part of that. And we do it in two ways, he says, by punishing the oppressor and delivering the oppressed. And so God is showing himself faithful to his promise and now faithful to uphold justice and mercy. And now comes this announcement of judgment. Verse 20, then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah, remember these are the two towns that Lot chose to live by back in chapter chapters earlier. He says, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, their sin so grievous, that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. So the history of Sodom and Gomorrah is this, going back to chapter 13, verse 13. It told us the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. We remember in chapter 14 when Abraham goes and rescues Lot and the people of Sodom and Gomorrah who'd been drugged away by these conquering kings, that when the king of Sodom says, look, now that you've got all of our people back and all the possessions that were taken, I just, in thanks to you and what you've done, I, I, can I keep the people, but you have all the goods. And Abraham said, I want a stitch of the sandal. I don't want a stitch of the strap of your sandal so that you could ever say, I made Abram rich. He wants nothing to do with this guy. And yet in that city, there was a cry that went up. So this is just helping us understand God who is spirit. And it's using language that we understand. And, and it's the language of the Bible relative to people who are oppressed and crushed and beaten down, that their cries of suffering, that their cries for mercy, that their cries for justice don't fall on a deaf ear when it comes to God. He's not indifferent. He doesn't have a problem seeing it or hearing it or responding to it. So back in Genesis chapter 4, Cain killing Abel, right? The Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Cain, listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Psalm 912. For he who avenges blood remembers. He does not ignore the cries of the afflicted. James 5, 4. The wages, look, the wages you fail to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. And so what's 
Abraham's response, this one who's experienced God's grace, he extends mercy and compassion. We always have this huge insight that the man of faith is to be a man of compassion. The woman of faith is to have a heart of compassion, even towards great wickedness, which is embodied in real people that live in a city. He's not just caring about Lot. Listen to what he says, verse 22. The men turned away and went towards Sodom. We'll run into these angels in chapter 19, verse 1. But Abraham remained, remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? You're, you're going to wipe out... You're going to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah, but Lot lives there and his family. Are you just going to say you treat everybody the same? It doesn't matter how you live your life. Are you going to wipe out the righteous with the wicked as you exercise justice and bring your judgment to bear? And so he says, what if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Here's the question. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? But we need to understand his question is not accusatory. He's appealing. God, you are right. You do right. You are fair. You are just. And so on the basis, would you have mercy on this city? Not just on my family. Would you have mercy on this city? Fifty righteous. Then the Lord said, verse 26, If I find fifty righteous people in the city of Sodom, I'll spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abram spoke up again. Now that I've been so bold so as to speak to the Lord, though I'm nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than fifty? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke. So you can tell Abraham's going, maybe not. Maybe there aren't 40. Maybe there aren't 45, right? So he says, once again, he spoke. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only, now he's going in tens. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, God, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I've been so bold so as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. So we have this powerful picture of a godly man who is standing before heaven and hell, interceding, appealing to God's mercy, appealing to his justice, that he will do what is right. The God of the universe will do what is right. He won't treat everyone the same. He will rescue the righteous. He will stay his hand of judgment for the sake of people who walk with God and desire to live in relationship with him. It is powerful. It is powerful. And we will see that that question, yes, even for the sake of ten, God would spare the city, but there were not ten. We'll find out in chapter 19. But he did what is right 
in sparing Lot and his family. So what do we do with the stuff that is just kind of wild stuff? 100-year-old man, 90-year-old woman, going to have a baby, angels visiting, impending judgment. What, what, what do we do with a story like this? Well, the first thing we always remember is the Bible wasn't written to us, but it's for us. And fundamentally, the Bible is always helping us understand who God is, who we are, why this world is what it is, and how we can find hope in our way on the journey of life and the walk of faith. One of the things that's profound in chapter 18 is the approachability of God. He's visiting. He's sharing a meal. It's this wonderful prefigurement of Christ coming to this earth in flesh and blood. And there's this intimacy in the relationship that reminds us Christ followers, we're, we're not part of a religion. We're part of a relationship and of a family. We're God's children by his grace. And this ought to warm our hearts. Fallen people fumbling along on the journey of faith, not always strong in their faith, with questions rising up to God, real questions. That there's a warmth and there's an intimacy and there's grace, there's grace. There's grace. That's good to remember. God's big enough for our questions. And our questions don't change the rules. And it doesn't recalibrate the outlay of his grace for you and me. And the grace that he extends is a grace then that we are to impart as we have not just great faith, but great compassion. And we note that. And one of the things we want to emulate here is Abraham's compassion for a wicked city, not just for family. That's his heart. It's so different than Jonah. Read Jonah this week. The guy is so mad about Nineveh turning to God because he knows what's going to happen. He's read the prophecies that this city that is now turning to God in repentance is one day going to wipe out God's people. And he doesn't like that fact. And he wants judgment. He doesn't want God to extend mercy. And he's literally camped out on the east side of Nineveh waiting for God to rain down the fire from heaven. And that's, that's some of us. Man, this is a messed up world. God, just zap them. Nuke them, as if somehow, as if somehow, we, we no longer sin, that we do everything right. Somehow we're not part of the equation. A beautiful reminder of the experience of grace is testified by the extension of mercy. I'm not really good at that. This uh, crack in my new iPhone 7, it's only like two weeks old, and got that nice screensaver. How in the world are these things so expensive, screensaver? And what are these things made of? But um, I was working with my little friend, 
We're doing some fifth grade tutoring, and my little friend wanted to see my phone. And I'm okay with that at times, but it wasn't the right time. And so I said, not, not now. And my little friend wasn't really excited to hear me say, not now. And the next thing I saw is just kind of picking at that screen saver. And then all of a sudden, uh-oh, it just went. <laughs> now, I was really mad. My assessment at the time was, this was not an accident. You were mad that I didn't give you the phone. And so you just cracked my screensaver. And I don't like that you did that. <laughs> and I'm supposed to be this Christ follower. <laughs> He's had an experience of grace that means I am ready to extend mercy. No, I wasn't. I was really wanting to be her dad at that time <laughs> and send her down the hall for a timeout or something worse. It's, it's not natural. It's not natural. We live in a world where we suffer injustice and can wonder, does God hear our cry? We live blindly in a world where we are part of injustice and we don't even get it. What I know is we're all in favor of justice when we have suffered injustice. And then if we ever get close to being guilty on anything, we're really, really big fans of mercy. <laughs> this story is all about how God is going to bring his blessing to the families of the world. Ultimately, through the one who suffered injustice so that God's justice would be satisfied. The one who came, not for an afternoon meal, but spent 33 years of his life, born in poverty, lived in obscurity, and then he suffered all kinds of injustice. And he died unjustly in great shame, hanging, hanging naked on a cross, the one who had command over all the angels, the very two angels that would go down and, and deliver Lot and his family from that place of impending judgment. He could have called them to He didn't. He cried out to God, this one who was suffering injustice, and God did not respond to his cry so that his death could satisfy And it's at the cross where his justice, God's justice and his mercy meet. They kissed at the cross so that he suffered all this, that we might receive God's mercy. And having received his mercy, we bring blessing to the world as we point people to Christ, living like Christ, doing the very things that God said, Abraham, this is what I want you to do. I want you to teach your family to walk with me in faith with me. And I want you to do what's just and right. What does the prophet say, Micah 6, 8? What does the Lord require? But to do justice and to love mercy and walk humbly with our God. Look, life is hard. The journey's hard. The tension's real. The question's raised. What do we expect? Grace. 
And so look for God's grace. Write it down every day, three things you're thankful for. Look for God's grace right now when it's hard. And look for opportunities to be compassionate, to extend grace, to be merciful, to do what's right, to do what's just. That's how we get better when we're tempted to get bitter, when life is hard on the journey of faith. Let's pray. Father God, we bless you for your mercy and grace extended to us in Christ. You did not send your son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. You love the world so much that you sent your one and only son into this world that whoever believes in Christ Jesus would not die, but have life. Give us life. Help us to flourish. May we know your blessing, impart your blessing, live out your blessing. And for mercy, Lord, and grace for those of us who are surrounded by hard things, Lots of questions. Be merciful to us, Lord Jesus, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.